campus at Charlotte Chapel, and uh, apparently uh, it's good in education to repeat, so let's just uh, go through this, put the slide up, first question. Charlotte Chapel vision, what's our vision? All right, let's let's just say with just a little bit more conviction, what is our vision? To glorify God, that's right. Well done, yeah, next one. What's our mission? To make disciples, good. And what's our goal? All nations. We want to make disciples of all nations. Just put the next slide on. You know, we've we, we basically spent the first session, Peter Granger helped us think about our great goal is to glorify God. And, and, and really, that's about the whole of our lives glorifying God. It is a glorious theme in Scripture that should captivate our hearts, that the privilege of knowing this glorious God and reflecting His glory in this world, that in all of our life we glorify Him. We've been thinking about the three stages of our mission, uh, to reach the lost with the gospel, to send uh, to build up the uh, saved with the gospel and to send out the trained with the gospel. And this week, as we close, we're going to think about our goal of all nations. Uh, next Sunday is our Youth Sunday, and uh, we're really looking forward to that. And so be please praying on for uh, that Sunday as my brother comes and preaches uh, with us. So that's what we're at. We're at to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. And so let's think about this uh, part of all nations. Um, uh, I almost wonder whether I need to prove this from the Bible. I think this is sufficiently well known. But let's not presume. Let's find this goal in Scripture. And the first thing I want to say is that uh, it is commanded by Christ. We began this in, a few weeks ago, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, where it says, uh, The resurrected Christ stands before them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. From the first call of the apostles to go, uh, the, the, the cause of Christ is a missionary movement. As, as, as the apostles went out and made disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Christ had commanded, within that was the teaching of the necessity to go to the nations with the gospel. So a few weeks ago, we thought that it's not just about decisions, uh, but disciples. But today, we're thinking about the next point, which is that it is not just about local uh, disciple-making, but global disciple-making. Next slide. I'm moving quick with these slides today. Uh, we're to make disciples of all nations. Now, missiologists will point out to us that that phrase, all nations, uh, is, comes from the word uh, ethne, uh, where we get the term ethnic groups. And so when we think about going to the nations, it's not so much going to the, uh, the current areas that we dis- know as nations. I mean, there's lots of nations today that never existed when... Uh, Christ sent out the call. The call of Christ is to actually reach out into all the ethnic groups within uh, the world. And if you want to just go back a slide, actually. Go back to Matthew 28. Do you see the logic uh, that's there? Um, The therefore. uh, Because he has all authority in heaven on earth, 
You know, as, as, as God raised Christ from the dead, that is the proclamation to the world that this uh, man who is God has all authority over everything. He is Lord of all. Because he is Lord over every people group, therefore we are to go and make disciples of all nations. There's the logic. A universal Lord demands a universal mission. He's not just the king of the Jews. He is king of uh, all the nations over all peoples. And so there's no part of this world where Jesus is not Lord. Now, he may not be recognized as Lord in, in many nations, but there's no nation in this world where he is not, in fact, Lord. You can paddle up the river Ganges and get out of your boat, and, and he's Lord there. You can paddle up the Amazon, jump out of your boat, and he's Lord there. You could sail into uh, the, um, the Firth of Forth, and he's Lord of Fife, and he's Lord of Midlothian. And, and West Lothian and East Lothian. He, there's nowhere where he is not Lord of every nation and people group. All other religions are false hopes. They cannot save. All other philosophies are bankrupt and are ultimately useless. The apostles were clear, weren't they, when they stood up in the temple and proclaimed there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's why we as Christians and as a church must have this global vision to see the gospel uh, spread not just in Edinburgh and Scotland and in the United Kingdom, but throughout the whole world. And so it is explicitly commanded by Christ. Jump forward a few slides again. But it's always been God's plan. It's my second point. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, just to see that this has always been God's plan. You'll find this on page 1062 in the church Bibles, page 1062. So where we are in the story of Luke's account, well, the disciples had seen Jesus crucified. The women had seen him buried uh, in a tomb on a Friday. And then on Sunday morning onwards, they heard the most shocking news that the tombstone had been rolled away, that the body of Jesus was gone. And the news started spreading of sightings of Jesus alive and well, resurrected from the grave. But then he appears before the disciples themselves. Have a look at verse 44. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to them, the disciples in the, uh, gathered in the room there, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So how do we know that uh, 
It was always part of God's plan that this gospel will be for the nations. Well, the life of Jesus was all written about in the scriptures. This is what Jesus says as he stands before them. Verse 44, uh, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. And then he describes the, the three divisions of the Hebrew scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets, and uh, the Psalms is the biggest book in the section called the writings. This is, this is what we've got in our Christian Bibles is the first part of our Bibles, which we call the Old Testament. And Jesus points to that book, and he says, the whole of that book is pointing to me. Uh, If we need to understand uh, what is going on in the world, well, you need to start from Genesis. Uh, The law of Moses uh, begins with Genesis. Uh, of God creating this whole world, and it's a world of, of wonderful blessing, of fellowship between God and, his, uh, and, and mankind whom he created. And yet because of Adam's sin and rebellion, we see a decreation, a, a cursed world instead of a blessed world. And yet God begins this amazing plan to redeem a broken, messed up world. And we see it uh, in lots of ways, but we see it in the call of Abraham in particular. And the promise that through Abraham, God is going to bring blessing to the nations. It has always been God's plan. The God who made this world and loves this world, and despite our rejection of him, God has had this amazing plan to bring blessing back to this sin-cursed world. It has always been his plan. And you can follow through. The unfolding story of salvation that all points forward to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the scriptures, we see God foretelling his plan. You know, he promises to send a second Moses. He promises to send a servant king, one who will be righteous and yet suffer for sin, someone who will bring blessing into a sin-cursed world, someone who's going to bring in an everlasting kingdom that will usher in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be perfection and no more sin and rebellion, no more suffering and pain. So the whole of scriptures from Genesis to Malachi is pointing us forward to Jesus. That's what Jesus says as he stands before them. And and, and Jesus says, you've seen these things fulfilled before you. They'd witnessed the promises about Jesus being fulfilled. And it says there that he opened uh, their minds, verse 45, so they could understand the scriptures. Now notice with me, he says that there are three things that need to be fulfilled uh, that are written about in Scripture. Do you see what they are? Three things. They're there in verses um, 46 and verse 47. Firstly, that the Christ will suffer. It was all prophesied that the king that God would send would be a king who would experience great suffering and death. This everlasting kingdom would come through a suffering Christ. Just think, uh, most famously, say of Psalm 22, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very words that Jesus uh, shouted out from the cross. Self-consciously, he was fulfilling that psalm. The Christ would have to suffer in far greater ways than King David could ever understand. His suffering and death was absolutely essential to rescue and redeem us, to pay the penalty 
for our sin. God purchased a church for himself with his own blood, is what Dr. Luke will go on to say in Acts. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus, he was redeeming a people for himself. But there's a second thing that the scriptures pointed forward to. Not only his suffering, but his resurrection. And that he would uh, rise from the dead on the third day. Did you hear Beverly? Uh, She quoted Hosea chapter 6. It's one of these passages that just says, cool things happen on the third day. It's just a throwaway line. And on the third day, God's going to do something. Throughout scriptures, cool things happen on the third day. The scriptures are setting us up ready to what's going to happen on the third day. There's a really big third day coming. Well, this is the really big third day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Psalm 16 uh, is used by the apostles in their preaching to speak of the Christ that he would not abandon to the grave. He would not let his Holy One see decay. Prophesying, promising that this suffering Christ would be in the grave and yet would rise from the grave. And um, there he was, standing before him. We could have read the verses before, remarkable verses, as, as Jesus himself, verse 36, stands among them and says to them, Peace be with you. Why does he have to say that? Because they knew he had died. This is freaky. I mean, this is freaky. We don't expect dead people to come back. Where Christians aren't weird, people think this happens all the time. We know it doesn't. This is remarkable and freaky. And and they're freaked out. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And he shows them the marks of his suffering and of his crucifixion. Yes, he really died. And yet he was really raised. I mean, Luke writes this whole account uh, to, to assure us. Uh, that we know that these remarkable events really happen. And, and, he, and he illustrates it to them. They, they would not forget this. He says, well, you, you want to see I'm, I'm really real, flesh and blood? Uh, you got any fish? And they remembered it was broiled fish. I mean, it could have been sushi, I guess. But it wasn't. It was broiled fish. And he took and ate some broiled fish. So we get to eat in the new heavens and the new earth. I'm excited about that, aren't you? I'm very excited about that. There's a banquet. There's the best wines. Everything to look forward to on that day. A real physical resurrection. Jesus ate broiled fish. And there he was. So, the scriptures said that the Christ would suffer. Done. The scriptures said that the Christ would be raised on the third day. Done. But there's a third thing that is still left undone. Do you see it? It's there in verse 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Now, do you see why I've gone for this text? This is the third step that must be fulfilled. That Christ would be preached to the nations. That specifically in his name, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations, to all ethne, to all people groups in the world. Uh, This too is prophesied in the scriptures. Uh, If you do the McShane Bible reading today, you would have read from Isaiah chapter 42. And this is where uh, the Lord promises this of his servant. 
I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And in about seven days' time, next Sunday, we'll be reading Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This has always been God's plan, that this uh, good news of the suffering and resurrected king who has all authority and who has paid the price for the amnesty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and right with God, that this should be proclaimed to all nations. It is commanded by Christ, and it has always been God's plan. Starting in Jerusalem. Well, we, 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 we began to look at this a few weeks ago. Let's turn again to Acts 2, just to see that that's exactly what they did. They waited in Jerusalem. They received the promised Holy Spirit, and they began to speak of Christ. Acts 2. They proclaimed to them the, the, the facts of the life and the suffering of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. You can read that in chapter 2 a little bit later today. But let's go to the summary of his sermon, his application, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, the resurrection guarantees that. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, well, Peter knows what he's got to do. He's got to preach repentance in the name of Christ, doesn't he? So what he says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see, they began in Jerusalem. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see, in fact, uh, the, the, the gospel going out, this preaching of repentance in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, going out from Jerusalem to Samaria to the Gentiles. And by the end of the book, we are uh, with Paul uh, in Rome, the, the capital of the empire at that time. And the last verse uh, in Acts 28:31 says this, Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when David Cook was with us a few weeks ago, he pointed out to us that the last word in the book of Acts, uh, in the original language, is the word unhindered. The word went out unhindered. And of course, we are now in the Acts 29 phase as the gospel continues to be proclaimed. That is the essence of the work that we've got to do to go and make disciples of all nations. To preach. You know, we may do lots of things as well as we go. We might be involved in businesses, medical work, helping, caring for people. But unless we get to the point where we are preaching Christ and calling on people to repent in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, uh, we're not doing missionary work because that is what we are called to be doing. And the wonderful thing about this church is that this has been the history 
of this church. Um, I was flicking through uh, Ian Balfour's book, Revival in Rose Street, and uh, at the 150-year celebration, there was this summary that 102 members up at that point had gone out uh, to the mission field. And I don't know if you've ever seen these, but uh, it took me a while to notice these. But in the, in the, um, in the lounge, we have these missionary roles, all the way going back to John Mack, who uh, in 1821 went out to India. Christopher Anderson, our founding pastor, wanted to be a missionary with uh, William Carey. And uh, he, he, he couldn't do it because of his health, and so he planted Charlotte Chapel. But he uh, mobilized people to go, and John Mack was one of those who went. And all these others, that's all the way up to 1952. We actually have to do some updating, because this doesn't contain everybody. As we keep going, uh, Ivan is the last one here, but we've actually sent more since then. So we need, we need to update this. We probably need another panel. But isn't this a wonderful heritage? That this church has been a church that has taken seriously uh, making disciples of all nations. And so currently, uh, as David already shared earlier, we have 40 to 50 mission partners uh, who are involved in lots of different things. We have people involved in Bible translation uh, in Papua New Guinea, in the Philippines, amongst Muslim nations. We have people with OM, with OMF in the Zambezi Mission, with Arab World Ministries. We have people working uh, with Langham Partnership. We have uh, contacts in Romania. Uh, we have people currently uh, uh, working amongst unreached people groups. We, in the UK, we've sent out evangelists, uh, people producing evangelistic gospel literature, as we prayed about earlier. People who are investing in studying the gospel to children. In all these ways, we are currently involved in making disciples of all nations. It is a wonderful uh, heritage, isn't it? But we have to say, it is still an unfinished task. It is still an unfinished task. I mean, we can thank God, and we should thank God, for the remarkable story of what he's done over the last 20 to 30 years. Uh, it is so thrilling to see what God has done in the last 20 to 30 years. Um, in 1979, Patrick Johnston, who, um, who actually uh, was the guy behind the Operation World prayer book, in 1979, when he was asked, uh, where were the most difficult places for gospel breakthrough, in 1979, he named Mongolia and Albania. And we've heard today from Eric how from a handful of believers 20 years ago, there are now 63,000 believers in Mongolia. And you can get a missionary passport to go to Mongolia. It is amazing what God has done there. Or even in um, Albania, it is now an open country and churches are growing. 30 years ago, who could have imagined uh, what is... Uh, estimate today that there are about a hundred million Chinese Christians who would have ever believed such a thing who who would have who could have foreseen the massive people movements that have taken place in places like Iran and Algeria and Sudan in the last 10 15 years it's amazing to see what has happened about the displaced Iranian people uh, the large number of refugees that have been in London and in Glasgow 
And amongst these displaced Iranian people, there has been a great openness to the gospel, almost like revival, as hundreds of Iranian refugees have become Christian believers. Uh, in the church that Shona uh, grew up in, in Glasgow, they have an Iranian congregation in the afternoon. It is amazing to see what God has done. We should praise God for these amazing developments that have taken place. Uh, there is an explosive growth of evangelical Christians in the world. While we are declining in Europe, the truth is that the gospel is booming in the global south and amongst the two-thirds uh, majority worlds. It is amazing what God has done. It is no longer a white European thing to be a Christian. Who could have foreseen the amazing work that's happened in India amongst the Dalit people, the untouchables? And the work that OM is doing in planting churches amongst the Dalit people is quite amazing. And yet it is still an unfinished task. Now, I, I was really challenged this week just to uh, try and wrestle with these figures. I mean, I, they're almost too heavy to cope with. It is estimated that there are 6.9 billion people in the world. 6.9 billion. With the most liberal estimates, a third of those are Christian. And, and, and of course, that's just anyone who sort of ticks the box and says they're Christian. So that's a very liberal understanding of Christian. But even having said that, if they are all followers of Christ, there are still 4.5 billion people who are at this moment without Christ and heading to eternal uh, hell. It, it is an incredible figure, isn't it? Four and a half billion people. Uh, a few years ago, uh, the Joshua Project began, and it tried to quantify how many ethnic uh, people groups are there. And, you know, figures vary depending about whether you number the number of unreached people groups in a nation or overall across national borders. But if you do it by every nation, there are about 16,350 people groups uh, in the world today. It is estimated, next bit, that there are 6,645 unreached, least reached people groups. Okay, I'll keep going. Just talk over. Will there be any water in there when we're done? Oh, we're trying to let some out. It's overflowing. That's exciting. <laughs> Gonna make a big splash, Beverly. <laughs> so I want you to get your heads back around this. Do you see that red area? Uh, it is approximately what they call the 1040 window. Uh, within it, there are 6,645 people who are classed as unreached or least reached. These are people who have uh, very little, if no chance at all, of hearing the gospel right now. That represents 40% of the world population. 2.84 billion people are going to go to bed tonight having never heard anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. Having... Uh, no hope of salvation, no knowledge of the Savior that God has provided. And it is a great challenge to us today. Just to try and personalize it, there's just one people group, the Sheikh, uh, I don't know how you say this properly, is it the Sheikh? I don't know how you say that anyway. 
the people group, there are 212 people amongst the, 212 million people amongst this, uh, the Sheikh people, an unreached people group. India has the most unreached people groups within it. There are 1.2 billion people in India. 2,200 unreached people groups in India. Um, there's about 2.3% uh, Christians in the whole of India, but they're mainly in the south. And so you have certain uh, uh, regions where there's just, I mean, there's, there's hardly any. So think about Uttar Pradesh. I can't even say that properly, but uh, Uttar Pradesh. That region alone has 200 million people. One region of India. Doesn't that blow your brain? How many people in Britain today? About 60 million, 62 million, something like that. In this one region of India, there are 200 million people. Estimated number of Christians, 0.018% amongst them. There are 10 million of these Sheikh people who live in Uttar Pradesh. What can we do? What can we do? Next slide, please. See, our goal is to glorify God as we make disciples of all nations. And, you know, here's the exciting thing. There's plenty of work to go. You know, if, you, if you're bored and thinking, I don't know what to do with my life, I'm glad you came today because there is a great grand purpose that we're going to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Now, thankfully, uh, all those millions don't rest solely on Charlotte Chapel. And yet we want to play our part. What would the Lord ask us to do? Well, I think, first of all, we should learn about the situation. It was sobering to me to even look, begin to wrestle with the statistical data this week and, and, and to feel the weight of it. I mean, as I, as I read it, I think, I don't know, maybe I should go. Look at the Joshua website. You can get little email updates to start praying for these unreached people groups. Get to know this world and where we're at. Secondly, pray. We can pray. The Operation World book is a, is a brick of a thing. I'm sure we can, we've got it in the bookshop. If not, please order up 10 or 20. And uh, it's a wonderful resource. It's a bit overwhelming, the amount of data in it. But you can, you can go to the, uh, the day of the, uh, uh, and, uh, and just pray for one or two facts from that page to begin to pray for this world. This CBC Online is in the most amazing tool. It's, it's a huge effort it's going into. You know, today, if you'd have prayed, today you'd be praying for Teresa Wilson. And, and I hope you are praising God today. This is an amazing thing. In six years... Teresa and her mission partner, Beata, have translated the New Testament. That is lightning speed. That is amazing. So it's right now, it's gone to Korea to get printed up, the CMAT language. So let's be praying now as, as they look forward to that presentation day that God would use this word to, 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 to be an explosion of God's grace amongst the CMAT people. The people come to know this Savior and trust him. So I can recommend to you the, um, the online. 
I, I want to say to you that the numbers at the missionary prayer meeting are dropping. It is only one night a month. One night a month on a Wednesday night. Could you give up one night a month to come here and fill this place so that we pray for the making of disciples of all nations, so we would pray for our mission partners. They're relying on us to uphold them before the throne of grace. Go. We could go. <laughs> I couldn't hold those two mission roles. They're too, they're too heavy. And there's more on that. But you know what? We need to send more, don't we? We need to send more. Maybe it should start with a short-term mission trip. I think we can learn one thing from the Mormons. About the only thing we can learn from them. And that is the way they encourage their young people to give one year to go somewhere else. And the sad thing is that they're going somewhere else to spread false knowledge. To, 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 to tell untruths about Jesus. To tell untruths about God's grace. And maybe we need to restart basically uh, a plan where we commit to sending all of our young people away for a year. Now, people will testify here about the impact in their lives if they went on a short-term mission trip. It changes you forever. Uh, were you here when Andrew McCabe was here? Do you know where Andrew lives? In Uttar Pradesh. <laughs> We've had a brother faithfully laboring away in this area which is full of unreached people. How strategic has his ministry been to love and care for these children? Many who come to faith. Many who go on to have significant roles within society. And we've been partnering with this guy in a, in a key area of need. And you remember he stood here and he said, come on out, come and visit. I'd encourage some of the young people to come out and see. Well, are we going to do that? It's a tremendous opportunity, isn't it? Go in a short term, but Lord, we, we need to be praying that the Lord will send out workers. I know that God loves this world, and I know he's continuing to stir people's hearts, and maybe he's beginning to stir your heart that you should go. We'll be praying that's the case. The Lord will continue to raise up workers, not just in this harvest field of Scotland and the United Kingdom and Europe, of which there are many needs, but to the unreached people groups. Send. It is critical that we have a strong church here in Charlotte Chapel that is holding the line, that is praying for people, that is showing practical love and care, that is encouraging these guys to stick at it in tough context and to know that Charlotte Chapel is behind them uh, through giving, behind them through prayer, behind them through practical love and care. Do you know what? We can fly to anywhere in the world these days. We can go and visit. What an encouragement we can be if we see the, the critical part that we can, if, if the Lord's not calling us to go, He's calling us to be part of the send. That we all actively work together to, to, to make disciples of all nations. Do you know that uh, you need to designate money to go to the missions fund? The money that goes in the bag every Sunday doesn't automatically go there. 
You need to designate. And uh, we need money to keep the ship running here, and we need money to keep the missions program going. There's an ongoing need. And I want to say to you that I think this plan to make disciples of all nations uh, would be helped if we buy St. George's West. Unless there is a strong and growing church at Charlotte, then there won't be people to support those who go and maintain them in it. It is an important work that we have a vision to make disciples here and we have a vision to make disciples among all nations. Welcome. We have an amazing opportunity. Next one. Uh, here in Edinburgh to be involved in the ministry of welcome. Not only have we the privilege that we can go to the nations, the nations are coming here. The nations are coming here to study. And... Um, you can play a key part here by looking out for new people, looking out for those who don't have pasty skins and welcoming them into your homes, offering meals, showing them how thrilled you are they're here. The work of the International Fellowship is, is an amazing work in this church. And the International Fellowship needs more workers. More could be done. Uh, to, if they could have more workers who would be willing to commit to Friday nights and helping lead Bible studies, helping to do one-to-one -one Bible studies throughout the week. Uh, there are great opportunities both for evangelism. Uh, every year uh, there are people coming and it's their first time that they open a Bible in their lifetime. Here at Charlotte Chapel. There's been a wonderful history of those who've come and have got saved here and have gone back to those countries and had a very fruitful, wonderful ministry. And the International Fellowship is a key part in that. Uh, maybe the Lord is calling you to be involved in that ministry of welcome as you go to make disciples of all nations. And we need to mobilize. That's what Z has been doing through his uh, very skillful work as a photographer and videographer. He is seeking to mobilize. We need to keep reminding ourselves and giving each other a vision of how the Lord wants to use us to reach the nations. We've got uh, a family currently uh, amongst the Unreached People group right now. Wouldn't it be great over the next five years if we could send some more to Unreached People groups? We could reduce that list of people still unreached. Wouldn't it be thrilling if, if we were to mobilize that church and see that happening in our day over the next 10 or 20 years? I mean, it looked impossible in Mongolia, but now 63,000 people. It looks impossible in North Korea, doesn't it? It looks impossible. But who knows what could happen if we pray? If we give, we send, we go. Let's pray.